Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, hi guys. How's it going? (laughs) Uh, Well, um, I've had a weird couple of weeks. for those of you, for those of you who uh, don't know or haven't haven't heard, um, we uh, I'm gonna dive straight into this. Uh, we we experienced a big tragedy in our family. Um, ooh, okay, feelings. Um, my uh, my brother-in-law uh, passed away very suddenly at 43 years old. Um, uh, very very suddenly, out of the blue. Uh, his uh, he's got a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, and. Um, and uh, my wife and I were able to uh, fly out there right away to just be with my sister and be be together as a family. And um, you know, the, anyone who's experienced uh, a tragedy of any kind knows that it's it's something that's bigger than you can hold <laughs> all at once. You know, to it just leaves such a tremendous hole in in your life, in your in your family, and. Uh, the first thing I want to say before I get into what I want to want to talk about today is I, I I can't say how thankful I am for the the love that this community has shown me and my family during this time the 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 messages the 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 care the the finances that were sent to my sister the the all of these things have just uh, touched me to the absolute center of my core touched my family touched touched April and I I. Uh, the the Stockmans were there in the morning where we had to fly out quickly to help us pack. The uh, Lauren and Brent Brownlee were were there in the evening when we still had to pack uh, <laughs> with with pizza and, and organization skills and so many again just loving messages, kind messages, heartfelt messages. And so I just I just want to thank every single member of this community just for, just for the love and the care that you guys have shown. Uh, Tr- Tracy and then Carrie came and just let us cry at them for a while. It was it was wonderful. And so again, thank you so much. Um, what I want to talk about today, just because it's been on my mind, is is uh, grief and hope. Um, and I want to just kind of picture. I want to just set a big, wide table here, and I want to just set uh, grief right here, and I want to set hope right here. And I just want to talk about these things for a while, okay? Um, and before we get into uh, Talking about what these things are, and then talk, talking about how we, as, as as sons and daughters of God, how we how we respond to these things, how we connect with these things. Um, I just want to again continue to set the stage just a little bit. Uh, you know, grief is one of those weird, mysterious processes that we have. You know, there's lots of ways to define it and to look at it, but essentially, grief is something we experience to to various levels when we lose something. And the degree to which something is, as, has, is valued by us, is, is that we're attached to, is the degree to which we need to use grief to process that change, process that loss, you know? The weird thing about grief is it's still something that's being understood and studied more and more as time goes, but it looks inside the brain. If you do a brain scan with someone who is experiencing grief, it looks almost exactly the same, regardless of the nature of the circumstances. If you, they've done this, 
they did this experiment where they took people that were in different kinds of grief, and uh, particularly in one study, they took people who had lost people they cared about, and they'd have them sit in a, a brain scanner and uh, show them pictures of the uh, person they'd lost. If you were to write a news story about that, it'd be local scientists torture sad people. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, anyway, uh, the, <laughs> um, what they found was that as far as brain patterns go, so as far as what is happening in your brain, a person who uh, lost their spouse of 50 years, a teenager who just broke up with a boyfriend of four or five months, are experiencing the same thing. Now again, we can look at those things and see them as unequal, and in many ways, of course, they are. But the experience in the moment, the process of grief, is actually no different. Maybe, maybe if you want to stick with this metaphor, you know, grief is kind of like a cup you have to drink. You know, you have to drink your way through this. Uh, not in that way, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. <laughs> it's generally not a good idea, just so you know. Um, but <laughs> uh, it's called avoidance. That's another, that's another topic. But, um, Imagine this, this, this cup of, of medicine that you have, to, you have to get through. And maybe, maybe for the, the boyfriend of five months, that, that cup takes you know, three, four months to get through. And then maybe for the spouse, that cup takes uh, years to, to get through. But, but the cup is the same. What's in the cup is the same for, for everyone. Um, we experience grief most, we, and we experience grief with everything when, when dreams don't come true. When, when something we expected to happen doesn't happen the way that we expected, when, when a, something that we uh, believed was going to happen doesn't happen, any of those things, we experience grief because we have attached ourselves to that idea and that thing is detached because it doesn't exist. And obviously we experience this most profoundly with people that we're attached to because again, in our brains, when we attach to people, our brain always attaches in the structure of the attachment with, I am with this person forever. In fact, when they check uh, the brain patterns of a, of a one-year-old or two-year-old, when their mother walks out of the room, it is the exact same pattern of grief. Yet once again, because again, in the attachment that an infant has with a mother, it's I'm with you forever. <laughs> and so they experience that same grief when they walk out of the room. And I say all of this, to say whether you've experienced similar tra tragedy, uh, if you want to use these terms, worse tragedy or smaller tragedy, we're all drinking from the same cup. And so this story and, and the, the way that we talk about grief is something that every human being is invited into because every single one of us experiences it in our own way. But we all experience it. Does that make sense? So I just kind of wanted to, to lay that groundwork out for a little bit. Um, so, you know, hope is this interesting thing that has a sometimes strange relationship with, with grief. Um, I would suggest that a, a way to understand the relationship between grief and hope. You know, Proverbs uh, 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 13 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, and so... Hope is the, the act of, of believing in something, in, in anticipating something good, in, in joyfully anticipating something good. And when that thing doesn't happen, whether it's you know, a, a losing a partner or it's not, uh, or a business coming apart or, or anything in between, that is something that we had laid our hope on 
being deferred. And when hope is deferred, grief is the process by which we, we, we uh, uh, again, process that experience. Um, so, so what is hope? It's the substance of things hope for, right? We know that. <laughs> so to talk about hope, I want to step back a little bit and help us understand hope because it's something we can kind of have a strange relationship with at times. So we oftentimes we talk about hope in uh, in relationship to like being an optimist or a pessimist, you know. And the classic uh, example of optimism versus pessimism is is the uh, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? You know, we have the exact same set of circumstances, but are you viewing it this way or are you viewing it that way? And so you know, that's uh, optimism is uh, looking at circumstances and anticipating a positive outcome. It's hoping that you can make the best of it. It's uh, this will this will work out well. This will work out good. You know, pessimism is like yeah, you know, it, it can all go wrong at any time and it could all fall apart. You know, and uh, you know, hey, things don't always work out and things of that nature. And so, as Christians, which are we called to be? <laughs> I can. You are rightly scared to answer the question. Because <laughs> uh, I would suggest that it, it's actually a little bit of a trick question. Um, because both, I, I would suggest that as Christians, we are asked to be both. <laughs> now, you're all being nice because I'm going through grief, so I appreciate that. Um, so you're not uh, uh, throwing rocks at me just yet. but. Um, the Bible, of course, tells us to anticipate the goodness of God, the, the, the blessing of God, re, the, the reward of faith in him, and, and, and his, his goodness to flow into our lives. So, of course, optimism is absolutely a part of our Christian walk, to expect good things for the future, to expect good outcomes for our circumstances, to expect things to go well. However, and we don't always you know, necessarily bring these to the surface because we, we maybe don't like them very much, but... The Bible also promises suffering, strife, challenge. You know, Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrow, familiar with grief. If you, again, you read the book of Proverbs, we talked about this a little bit ago. If you read through the book of Proverbs, it's, I follow these things and your life will be good. You'll prosper. You'll have plenty of money. Your children will have money. You'll have good relationships, good life. You'll have the good life. And then shortly after, the book of Ecclesiastes comes along and says, hey, I've heard of a righteous man who died young and a wicked man who lived a long life and was successful. And it basically says, what's up with that? <laughs> it's the Hebrew word hevel. It's very useful. <laughs> hevel means vapor. <laughs> and it can be used as what's up with that? <laughs> uh, and so, and then shortly uh, along with that, you have the book of Job that tells the story of a righteous man who the, the book repeatedly says was righteous and all this trial comes through. Now, the reason we have to be careful and be willing to integrate both pessimism and optimism into our Christian walk is if we just say, okay, we're supposed to be an optimist, we're always supposed to look for the best outcome, we tend to choose our view of what the best outcome is and be disappointed when it doesn't happen that way. Um, which if you wanna spend some time studying scripture, happens a lot. Uh, where people expect a particular outcome, expect it to a prophecy, uh, 
uh, to be fulfilled a certain way and are, and are either disappointed or completely miss the, the hand of God because they're expecting it a different way. Now, we need to also be careful not to just be pessimistic because then we can kind of get into a fatalistic, you know, God is just uh, judging us and punishing us and he's right to do so because we're all horrible, um, you know. Uh, everyone, maybe some of us have been to that church before. Uh, but, you know, um, you can get into that mindset, you know, of, of you know, oh, it's just for, for suffering and then when we get to heaven, everything will be good, you know which again is not the, the full gospel that Jesus taught, is that he wanted to, he promised the hope of heaven, but also uh, demonstrated heaven coming to earth. Um, and so hope then is not just, Christian hope, biblical hope is not then just the anticipation of good things. Hope, biblical hope, is a person. It is a person. And this is the story from the beginning of Scripture to the end. Um, if you go back in uh, the Hebrew, and I'm always very terrible at pronouncing Hebrew words, words so I, I apologize. Um, but th- there's two main words that are translated as hope in, in your Bible. And so the first one is, uh, again, I apologize, uh, yachal. Um, and that means to wait for, to wait for something. The implication is you're waiting for something good or waiting for something to come to fruition. Uh, and scripture is often used like, oh, I planted a seed and I'm, I'm calling for it, for it to come to fruition, to come to fruit. I'm, I'm anticipating the return on this thing that I've, I've put out there. So that's one of them. The other one that is used and translated as hope is, um, uh, I believe it's pronounced uh, Chava, uh, or like, I can't do the ha part, right? Uh, but, uh, which is again to wait, but the word, uh, the first part of the word, uh, ha, is the word for a cord, like a, a rope or a strong twine. And so the picture is of holding each end of a, of a twine or a, or a cable in hand and pulling it and holding the tension, expecting, waiting for some kind of release. And so it has that eager anticipation. When you see things like eager anticipation or eager hope or uh, steadfast hope, that is usually this word over here, which has to do with this aspect of I'm actively holding attention in myself, waiting for something. Um, and these words are in all throughout Scripture, in the Psalms almost a little over 40 times. These, these words are there, and especially as you start getting into the prophets, and particularly the prophet Isaiah, the story of the great hope that is ahead, the story of the Messiah that is coming, is uh, building up throughout. And so in, in Proverbs, when it talks about uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick, that is broad hope. That is hope, I hope that I, uh, I hope that I, you know, have a husband soon. I hope I have a wife soon. I hope that I get this job. I, that's the, the kind of more, maybe the traditional uh, idea of hope is like, I'm hoping in this specific outcome. But biblical hope is not about circumstances and is not about outcome. It is about hope that is pointed toward the person of God. And for, for we as Christians, the person of Jesus. There's a big difference between those two. And it takes a, a, often a process of grief and an adjustment to change from having our hope be set on outcomes and circumstances rather than it being trained on a person. Uh, optimism looks at the circumstances and tries to find the best version of that and the, the best good that can come out of that. 
uh, pessimism looks at the circumstances and tries to anticipate the worst possible circumstances and, and so that you can avoid them or, or, or be ready for them. But if we look at, uh, you don't need to turn here, but you can mark it down for later. Romans 8, verse uh, 24, 25, it says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Again, optimism is based on what you can see. Pessimism is based on what you can see. I can see this and I can see it going this way. Hope, again, biblical hope has nothing to do with the circumstances. It's not affected by the circumstances. It's not determined by the circumstances and is not anticipating circumstances. It is trained on the nature of God. Does that make sense? And this is a very tricky thing for us to maintain as people because um, we, we are mostly taught in our lives to look for circumstances. We, we are attracted to the scriptures that talk about the specific circumstances that you will get if you follow God. You know, does that make sense? And, those, and again, these things are, these are not bad to look forward to. These are not bad to hope for. These are not bad to anticipate. It's not wrong to anticipate. It's not wrong to be optimistic. However, it can be uh, a big deferment when that doesn't come to pass, when that doesn't come to fruition. Um, you know, as I, <clears throat> as I sat with my sister uh, day after day, you know, I, I was telling friends about, you know, we went out, we were able to go out there for uh, over two weeks, which is really, really wonderful. And, um, and again, I was sorry to leave you guys for, for three Sundays, but uh, uh, I had to go. Um, and as I was, you know, I, <laughs> I kept describing my experience out there as the weirdest family vacation ever. <laughs> because, you know, you, um, you can only drink that cup so fast. <laughs> You can only fit so much in your heart as fast. And my whole family is, has a different sized cup. You know, undoubtedly my sister has the largest cup right now. <laughs> There's no question about that. But also my, my mom and dad have a cup and I have a cup and April has a cup and, the, and her kids have a cup, my kids have a cup. We all have a cup that we're drinking through and you can only fit so much of it inside yourself. <laughs> you know, you can only get so much in your stomach before you just can't do it anymore. And so we would cry together and then have the normal family vacation sort of conversations of like, uh, what's for dinner? I don't know, what are we, you know, what are we doing? And, but as we would sit and talk and these little pieces of, of grief would come out, it, it was all centered around hope. And I'm just going to let you in a little bit more of the story again, not, not from, just for my own, but uh, again, because the, like I said, this cup belongs to everybody in your own version. Um, so my, my brother-in-law, Terrell, um, I loved him most. I loved him first because he loved my sister with his whole heart. Uh, but he, over the years, grew to be a very good friend as well. And, you know, I, I've liked to write since I was uh, 15 years old. and been, It's been something I've actively pursued and gone after my, since that time. And uh, Terrell was very similar. He had pursued writing, a writing career for... 25 years and been trying to get breakthrough in writing scripts for, for, for movies in different forms and had so many times uh, gotten very close to getting breakthrough to getting something sold, to actually getting something sold, but then uh, I don't know how any movie ever actually gets made because it all gets, you know, moved by to this person, that person, and everything else. 
And so he had uh, finally decided to stop trying to do that just because the um, lack of breakthrough was so much dependent on external circumstances that he wasn't in control of. And so he had switched to doing some independent publishing stuff and it was grading huge success very quickly. And uh, I was having conversations with him just a couple of months ago about how publishers were actually fighting over the opportunity to publish his, his uh, two books that he had just finished. Um, and my sister had gone, uh, and, and Terrell had gone to help take care of my, my uh, elderly grandmother as she was, um, has uh, dementia. And so they had been uh, ready to, in the middle of launching this writing career, planning to you know, move, move to a new place together and kind of start something brand new in their life. And getting to sit in all the big and all the little pieces of that hope being deferred and being, being taken away and being, being um, lost. And, I, and one thing that I'd love to invite everyone into, whatever size your cup is in this season, because the last two years have set a cup like this in front of all of us, I think is one, to be willing to face that cup, to, to drink it, to drink that grief, to be present in those emotions. Sometimes we mistakenly think that, that grief is somehow the opposite of hope, but it's not the truth. The, the opposite of hope is called despair. And despair is when you stop particularly believing in the goodness of God and his nature and his, in, in his goodness despite the circumstances. And that begins to cause you to not believe in the goodness of everything else. <clears throat> but uh, grief is actually how you feed hope. <laughs> Being able to process the areas where what you did not expect to happen, or something you either didn't expect happened, or something that you expected to happen did not happen. Being able to drink that cup, being able to sit there in those, in those emotions, in those feelings, to look at what was lost, and to let yourself feel the pain of that, is what invites the comforter, the healer, and the restorer into your life. So that you don't have to have a fake version of hope that looks like optimism. It looks like I'm just anticipating good things. But instead, I have the experience of being comfort, comforted by the person I have hope in. Does that make sense? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the middle of, of this story right now. And so I, that's all I have to offer as far as this story is that I'm just walking this through with my sister and with, with, with myself and my family. But I wanted to take a minute just to share one other story I had experience, I experienced with, with grief. And I've, I've shared this before relatively recently, so it's familiar. But, um, but it's what I want to encourage you guys with, with regard to how we pr pursue hope in the midst of all of this. Um, so, um, so as many of you know, we've talked about this. And if you're new here, uh, boy, you picked a funny week to come uh, today. But, uh, uh, but welcome. Uh, uh, a big part of my story is that I've, I've, I've seen in the spirit since I was very, very young. So I've seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things, uh, not so differently from the way that I'm seeing all of you right now. Um, and when I was a teenager, I had a very good friend named Peter, who um, was an amazing guy. He was a, 
uh, he was just a lover of the Lord. He was passionate about him. He would sit in his room for hours and play worship, uh, just play worship on his guitar and, and worship the Lord. He pursued God with all, uh, all of his heart, all of his life. And he, you know, and, you know, let's be real. When you're in youth group, sometimes there's uh, people who are like that that are kind of fake about it. And, it's, you know, it's like kind of they almost do it because it's like this is what cool people do sort of thing. Peter was not like that. He, Peter was so genuine in his love for the Lord that it was, it was honestly infectious. Um, and unfortunately, Peter was uh, diagnosed with uh, leukemia, which is, as I understand it, is cancer of the, of the blood. And um, there was a, a whole... Um, a whole movement of people that were praying for him to be healed. Our church, churches that he was connected to, schools of ministry that he had gone to, everyone was pouring out their heart. And I even felt this gift of faith that he was going to be, that he was going to be healed, that he was going to be restored. And I remember, um, you know, he, uh, I don't know how it is for everyone, but for Peter, uh, he, would, he would kind of get better and then get worse, then better and then, and then get worse. And... Um, on one of the weeks he was doing better, uh, our families went went camping together, and my friend Peter uh, came to me and said, "Hey Blake, you know I know that you see in the spirit. I've always I've always wanted to see angels, and so I'd hey, would you be willing to pray for me that I would see in the spirit?" And uh, again, if you've been around, you've heard about this, but I I, I believe that every Christian uh, is uh, designed to experience all the gifts of the spirit, including seeing in the spirit. And so I had prayed for an impartation for probably 300 people at that point in my life. And uh, none had started singing the Spirit. So again, my hope was there, but the success rate was not. Uh, and, um, and so, I, but I was always willing to try because I just believed it was true, you know. And so I laid my hands on him. We're sitting around the campfire. And immediately he saw these gigantic pair of arms with a giant brass bowl reach down in front of him and lift up uh, this bowl full of oil that was full of herbs and spices and pour it over his head. He saw this vision. With his, with his eyes. And I saw the exact same thing at the exact same time. And from that day forward, he saw in the spirit every, every day. He saw angels every day, everywhere that he went. Well, unfortunately, just a couple of weeks after that, he took a sudden, uh, quick downturn and uh, quickly died. And you know, his parents told me afterwards that he was uh, singing worship songs and talking about the angels that he was seeing as he was being rushed in an ambulance to, to the hospital or ended up passing away. Now, I, I was already uncertain what I believed about healing at that point in my life. I believed that God wanted to heal people. I believed that everything in the Bible was true. But I just didn't always see it happen. You know, again, I had this, this belief. I had some of that optimism and I had even set some of my hope and I believe that God, this is part of God's nature and he wants to do this. And sometimes it happened and sometimes it didn't. But then this one hurt so bad because, why? Because I had hoped. Because I had believed, because there were so many people that were leaning in and then all the excuses that I had come up with in my mind of, you know, uh, well, you know, maybe people aren't praying with the right attitude or maybe the person's unhealthy or, you know, any of those kinds of things. Any, any of those ideas that came up in my mind, um, uh, they didn't apply to Peter because he was so pure-hearted. <laughs> and yeah, maybe some of the people that prayed for him didn't have a pure heart, but there was hundreds of them <laughs> that did. And even myself, I could feel this like living faith come up in me as I was praying for him. And so I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to believe about that. And to, to jump out of this story for just a second, when you're in grief, 
the last thing you need is an answer as to why this happened. Sometimes there are answers and we have this natural hunger for it, but that's not what resolves the pain. What resolves it is feeling it and feeling the presence of the comforter in the midst of it. And so I didn't, so, but the only thing I knew to look for in that time was answers. And my answer was, well, maybe this was an assignment on Peter's life. Maybe this was something that would teach people something that maybe, maybe somehow in, in my hope and trust in God, that maybe some good that could not possibly be achieved any other way would be achieved through this. That makes logical sense, right? <laughs> Dirty look from Justin. No, it does not. <laughs> um, so I went forward, and then I ended up going to this uh, school called Bethel in Reading, where they do talk a lot about this healing thing. Um, and I went up there with uh, a very guarded heart towards the idea of healing. And even when I would hear all the testimonies of healing that came out of this, this church or this school, I thought, that seems like way too many. Um, <laughs> just seems unlikely. I mean, just, you know, that's just, just a lot. That's too many, you know. Um, <laughs> Hey, I was more on the pessimist side, to, be, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, and I, but I got up there, and I sat under teaching about healing, and I saw people around me start to experience healings. And I heard testimony after testimony, and story after story, and bit by bit, my, my thoughts, my beliefs started to change. Well, uh, partway through the year, you, when you're in school of ministry, you get, uh, get to be part of the prayer team at the front of, of the church, and so it was my first week getting to do that. And so I get up there afterwards, and the first person comes up to me, and they, they have some pain in their back, and they'd like me to pray for it to be healed. And so I put my hands on their back. I see the prayer that you're supposed to pray. In the name of Jesus, you know, it is command pain to go and just uh, you know, release healing on your body. And, hey, do you feel anything? He's like, oh, no, it feels, ah, yeah, it feels about the same. I'm like, all right, okay, more authority. In the name of Jesus, pain go. <laughs> you know, and then... Uh, the uh, ask person again, you know, do you feel any difference? Uh, no, don't feel any difference. So then I close my eyes and start thinking, how long do I have to wait before I can send him away? Because <laughs> I don't know what else to do. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there doing that, uh, being, being extra cowardly. And, I, and then I hear this teeny tiny voice in the back of my mind say, why aren't you looking in the spirit for what's going on? And the second I heard that, I felt terrified. Because at least for me in my personal journey and my personal story, saying the prayers that I was, uh, saying versions of the prayers that I was taught in class and then continuing with the, the, what I, they didn't really teach a formula up there, but the formula that I had ascertained from being there, um, following that felt safe. But for me personally, choosing to look in the spirit to try to seek a, a way I'm supposed to respond or release healing on this person felt like putting my hope back on the table again. And that felt scary. <laughs> but this part of me knew that if I didn't decide to hope again, that I was choosing to leave the broken pieces of my hope on the ground where they lay. And even though it didn't feel comfortable, I knew I didn't want to do that. And so I started looking in the spirit, and all I saw was this, like, blur on the person's back, like kind of in the middle of their, their shoulder blades. I'm like, great, a blur. This is not helpful. Um, it's like, it looked like a little smear of light that was just uh, on their shoulder blades. And, 
And then the Holy Spirit said, just ask a question. And so I said, hey, does it hurt here? And they said, yeah, that's exactly where the pain starts, and it kind of emanates from there. And so my faith went from a one to a one and a half. (laughs) And the second they said that, I felt my faith go up just a little bit. And immediately what was blurry came into focus. And I saw this little turnkey right in the center of the person's back that had a clamp that was wrapped around their back. And I could just see this like an image that was projected over, over them. And I thought, is it really that simple? And so I told them what I saw, and I said, okay, I'm just gonna pray, and I'm gonna just pantomime, you know, turning this key on your back. And so, and I'm, again, faith 1.5 at best. <laughs> um, so I get there, and I put my hands, I don't feel anything under my fingers, you know, and all I think as I'm doing this is, all right, lefty Lucy, you know, because um, you don't want to make that mistake. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> ah, you know, you know. <laughs> Don't think it works that way, but don't want to find out. So, <laughs> uh, And so I pantomime, feeling nothing under my fingers, turning this key three times. I see it turn under, as if it was being moved by my fingers. I didn't tell the person that I turned it three times, but I said, hey, how are you feeling? They said, oh my goodness, it feels all better. And they said, I felt it loosen, then loosen, then loosen again. F- faith up to three. Boom. <laughs> you know? Um, and so in, in the years since then, I've seen a lot of people get healed. I've uh, been, been nearby when people have been raised from the dead. I've, I've seen people healed of impossible things that, that, that medicine couldn't, couldn't solve, at least in the, in the short term. And I've seen it not happen a lot too. And in all that time and all that experience and all that study, I've thought a lot of ideas about what happened to my friend Peter. I've heard a lot of opinions about what happened to my friend Peter. But I've never gotten an answer that satisfied, that, that, that felt like the whole of God's heart. And I've never gotten an answer that felt like it was, uh, every answer I felt like I've gotten, felt like it tempted me to reduce that hope that I had in God's nature. And I was, at least for me, and still to this day, I'm not willing to hold on to an answer to a tragedy that reduces the hope that I have in his nature, even when I don't see the compatibility. And I'm not saying that as someone who's a rock star of hope. Again, I'm still probably only a four on faith. (laughs) Um, It's... I'm saying that because that's, that's the tension, that's the rope that we're being invited to hold the tension in, is not that I cannot be optimistic and see these things working out, is I can't see how these work, are working out, and even the plans I can come up with, maybe, might work, might not work. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in his nature, despite the circumstances. And again, I'm talking about the relationship of hope and grief, but if you want, if you're experiencing grief, uh, from things you've experienced over the last two years, if you look at the future of of society, our country, things that you're scared about, things that you're worried about, what we need is not answers. What we need is to be rooted in hope, in the belief in the nature of God, who is the only one who can guide the things that are outside our reach. <laughs> you know, 
And it, whether it's those big things, whether it's those small things, whether it's personal tragedy, tragedy or whether it's historical tragedy, we need to be willing to drink that cup and look in the face of hope himself. Because that's the only thing that will bring healing. That's the only thing that will bring restoration. And so if you would just stand up real quick. I want us to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to bring adjustment to the areas that we have been optimistic and the areas that we've been pessimistic. To draw a picture of this real quick, just very, very briefly, um, if you want to take the metaphor of a marriage, I know I use it a lot, but uh, so does God, so there you go. Um, <laughs> Bride of Christ, that's you guys. Um, is optimism is I wrote out my list of all the perfect traits of this person, of a, the person I hope to marry someday. Pessimism is most guys or girls are jerks and they gotta be ready to watch out for these traits. But hope is seeing a person and choosing them. Does that make sense? Optimism is not bad, it's good. To, to look for the good, to look for the things that you need, to look for the traits that you need in a partner in this, in this marriage metaphor. Pessimism is not bad. It's good to watch out for, for people who are unhealthy, for people who are toxic. They exist. <laughs> um, uh, um, none in this room, though. Uh, the, um, we all are a little bit sometimes. Uh, it's good to be, to be mindful. It's be innocent as doves, wise as serpents. This is what the Bible tells us to do. And so, however, a marriage is not built on you knowing what you need best from somebody <laughs> with optimism or you being able to watch out for all the negative traits that are out there. It is about choosing a person <laughs> and allowing your hope to be laid upon them. <laughs> And the same is true in our relationship with God, is that we, he wants us to dream with him. He wants us to, to, to be optimistic with him, to look at the future, to make plans. He loves that. He invites us to do that again and again. It is shocking how much he does that with the people in this book, the people that he has a relationship with this book. It is shocking, offensive even. I wouldn't have given them nearly as much power as he did. <laughs> um, uh, however, he is still God, and he is still bigger than us. And he has placed us in a world that is too big for us to understand and invite us, invited us to be his ambassadors in it. And so we need to set our hope on him, to choose to put our hope in him. That's, and that's not based on circumstance. That's not based on experience. It's reinforced by our experience with him. But it is a choice that we make to lay our hope upon him. So if you would, just, just close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you. Lord, we, we, just, um, we just repent of any areas where we have let optimism or pessimism drive us, where we have put our trust in our ability to anticipate uh, what's ahead, to anticipate what's right. Even though that is a good thing and that is a good trait that you built in us, Lord, we repent for areas where we, were, where we let our optimism lead us to presumption or we let our pessimism lead us to cynicism, to, to, to doubting and undermining the people and the circumstances around us, Lord. And we just right now just lay ourselves down as being reliant upon you, Lord, being reliant upon you, that we put our hope on you, not in a certain outcome, but in your nature, in your glory, in your goodness. 
Lord, I, I just release a blessing on anyone in here who's in the middle of drinking a cup of grief right now. A big one, a small one. And I just uh, wash away that temptation that we all have to say, oh, my problem is not as big as that person or as that person. And just recognize the reality that maybe our cups are different sizes, but it has the same thing in it. And that you have given us, your, your, you, you've made yourself available to us, Lord, and you've placed us in a community where we can get the nutrients we need to be able to drink this cup, to process this pain, to face it so that we can have our hope restored. Not, not hope that's based on our, our merit or, or our ability to, to ascertain it, but that is rooted in our experience with the, comfort, the comforter and our trust in you. We just release that into every single person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks so much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.